So the Eighth Commandment is, you shall not... In 2021, retailers in the UK lost a billion pounds to shoplifting. But since then, things have got worse, much worse. In 2022, theft from shops rose by 35%. The Scottish Grocers Federation came out this week and said that all of its members, 100% of them, experience theft on a daily basis. The head of the co-op described this situation as anarchy. The boss of John Lewis stated that shoplifting has become an epidemic in the last year. This steal. Did you know that theft is a serious issue in our country at the moment? A picture of Benedict Selvaratnam. He has been running his business for eight years. The last 12 months have been the worst for shoplifting he has ever experienced. Benedict said, We're getting it from mums who are putting products in prams. We're getting it from pensioners, children and teenagers coming on bicycles. Many shops are now putting security tags on cheese and dummy tins of baby food on the shelves. They're asking the government to provide grants for increased CCTV and glass screens. They're imploring the police to divert more of their resources to this crime. It's important that we realise that this is not just a crime with financial implications. Theft has a profoundly personal effect as well. Any of us who have ever been burgled know just how violating it is for someone to come onto your premises and steal from you. Shopkeepers report feeling deeply insecure. They are afraid of attack. The president of the Federation of Independent Retailers says the situation is urgent. I know of members who fear for their lives inside their shops and others who are making the decision to close up. Theft leaves deep and long-lasting mental scars. Now, I'm sure we will all listen to this and are horrified by it. Many of us will be sitting here demanding stiff sentences for criminals like these. But let us not be too hasty in our judgment. Another survey came out recently which stated that 79% of us admit to stealing or having considered stealing from our employers. You see, when we deem that the theft has fallen beneath some invisible threshold, we can be lured into it too. Many of us will have raided the stationery cupboard in the office. Many of us will have used the work phone for personal calls or claimed more hours overtime than we actually worked or called in sick for a phony day off. So many times we try to justify these things by changing our language. I borrowed it, we say. I acquired it. I just helped myself. It fell off the back of the lorry. It was only going to be thrown out. Was it? Was it really? We so often know deep down that it wasn't. And then there's the occasions where the theft is more impersonal. We're all more susceptible when there is no obvious victim. We trade in our car without admitting the fault with it. We sell our house having covered a big damp patch with a lick of paint. We manipulate our mortgage and benefit applications. And then, and then we get to tax. We would be furious with a thief who stole from a children's hospital. But by not paying the proper amount of tax and national insurance, we're effectively doing the same thing. Of course, many people will point to the cost of living crisis. None of us have as much disposable income as we are used to, and perhaps this has led us all to play a little Robin Hood. But the sheer fact of the matter is, despite this current crisis, 
we in the West still earn more money and own more than any other people in any other place at any other time in history. We have vast amounts of possessions, and yet still we want more. So what is the problem with all this? What does God have against theft, even these supposed lesser forms of it that we can all be tempted into? Well, alongside the financial implications and the mental scars left on victims, theft directly insults God and damages our relationship with him. There are three reasons why. First of all, theft is directly linked to idolatry. The epidemic of shoplifting that is going on at the moment shows us that we have made idols of money and other created things. Remember when we looked at idolatry a few weeks ago with the second commandment. Idolatry is not just bowing down to golden statues in exotic eastern temples. Oh no, idolatry occurs every time we take an object, no matter how good it is in and of itself, and give it more attention than we do God. The second commandment was, you shall not make for yourself an idol. And God gave this commandment for good reason. He knew the damage that idolatry would do to human beings. Idolatry distorts our values. It elevates the ultimate importance, that which is not ultimately important at all. Idolatry corrupts us. It leads us astray and ultimately it always lets us down. In his teaching, Jesus declared money and possessions to be an idol. He gave them a name, Mammon, to demonstrate that they are a rival God to the Lord. In Luke 16, 13, Jesus said this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If we are prepared to steal... It means that we have turned to wealth and possessions to find our ultimate security, fulfilment and joy. This is the very definition of idolatry. Money and wealth have the power to tear our hearts away from God. The second reason that theft upsets God so much is that it denies his sovereignty. Many people today really do believe that everything is a product of chance. The universe was a cosmological fluke. The world was an accident. And therefore, who are rich and poor within it is the outcome of the random lottery of life. When you believe that everything in the world is by chance, stealing can be seen as rightly rectifying the balance or making the most of the opportunities that come your way. But of course, this is not the biblical view of the world at all. We do not believe the world was a fluke. We believe it was personally designed and sculpted by God. We do not believe that everything is random. We believe that God reigns. He's alive and active within his world today. And ultimately, we as Christians believe that God is so sovereign, everything belongs to him. In the Old Testament, David was the greatest king. He had everything, power, riches, authority, But when David was about to reach the pinnacle of his achievements as king, he took the time to proclaim to the people that everything he had was not really his. This is 1 Chronicles 29 verses 11 to 13. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. 
Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You're exalted as head over all. Wealth and honour come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. What this means to us as believers is that we no more own our houses, car, bank balance than we do our library books. All of those things have been issued to us. A library book always remains the property of the library, even while it's in our home, and one day it will need to be returned. So it is with all our possessions. One day we will die, and they will all be handed on. The difference between a librarian smiling sweetly at us when we return the book and God, the great judge of all, is that God will want to know what we did with what he lent us. It is really important we develop this right perspective. All of our possessions are on temporary loan and may be recalled to their rightful owner at any time and without warning. God is utterly sovereign. He reigns over all things. Therefore, if we steal something, we're not just wronging a business or another person, we are wronging God. We are seizing power and stealing from him. So theft is linked to idolatry and it denies God's sovereignty. The third reason theft upsets God so much is because it insults his generosity. When we steal, we are denying God's love and care towards us. The Bible tells us that God has given us many good gifts in creation, not because we deserve them, we deserve nothing, but because God simply delights to bless us. This same generous God has also promised to sustain us day by day out of his grace. He will provide what we need. He will give us our daily bread. When we steal then, we're throwing these promises back in his face. At the same time, by taking too much for ourselves, we're actively hindering God's fair and gracious provision to other people in the world. To insult God's generosity is serious. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, Paul says this, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither thieves, nor the greedy, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Theft is a serious thing. It damages people, leaving mentally scarred victims. It creates imbalance and injustice, plunging others into poverty. And it directly insults God damaging our relationship with him. For these reasons, and to prevent there being further victims for all eternity, God tells us that thieves will not find a place in his kingdom. They will be shut out, unless, of course, they repent and turn to Jesus. Thanks be to God again for the cross. I hope by now we've begun to realise the importance of this command. Yet again, we can see that this is not God trying to spoil our fun. He's not issuing rules to make us miserable. God gave these commandments to enable us to live free and peaceful and joyful lives. God gave these commandments to protect the vulnerable and lead to the flourishing of all. God spoke his word so that when we follow it, we might have a rich relationship with him. 
The command, you shall not steal, is very good indeed. So let us finish this exploration by asking the question, what can we do to fulfil the full intention of this commandment? I would like to make three practical suggestions. First of all, let us make amends. If while listening to this we've become aware of something we have stolen, let us be quick to make amends. Many of us will be familiar with the story of Zacchaeus in the Gospel. Zacchaeus was employed by the Romans as a tax collector, and as a result he was utterly loathed by the community. They couldn't stand him. Consequently, embittered by the rejection, Zacchaeus took to stealing. He was corrupt. He took more money than was due and kept it for himself. Zacchaeus was a thief, but it's fair to say this never sat comfortably with him. One day he met Jesus. In fact, he was so miserable with his lot and so desperate to see and hear Jesus that he climbed a tree to peer over the crowd. Despite the animosity of the community, Jesus showed Zacchaeus love. He showed interest and acceptance by going to his house for dinner. In response to this great mercy and kindness, Zacchaeus made the right move. He promised to give half of his possessions to the poor, and he promised to pay back four times the amount he had cheated from the people. Zacchaeus truly tried to make amends. This amendment did not earn his forgiveness. He didn't do it to get Jesus to love him. Jesus had already shown that he loved him by entering his house. But this amendment did demonstrate that Zacchaeus was wholehearted and genuine. He was truly sorry and he had truly come to faith. We too can make amends. We can find ways to pay back what we stole, even if it means giving the equivalent cost of the item to charity or something like that. Let us follow Zacchaeus' example and help some of the victims in our world. After all, God cares for them and so should we. This then leads us neatly on to the second practical suggestion on how to fulfill this commandment. We are to seek integrity. The word integrity describes the state of being trustworthy, morally upright, free from dishonesty. The more integrity we have, the more we are becoming like God. A character of openness, fairness, justice will grow within us. In John chapter 10, Jesus is described as the good shepherd. The one who watches over his flock, protecting them, nurturing them, leading them to safe pasture. In the same chapter, the devil is described as a thief who comes to steal and destroy. Quite clearly then, every act of theft makes us more like the devil, while every act of integrity makes us more like God. We are to have integrity in our personal relations. For example, never take a loan from a friend without full intention of paying it back, be it for money, books, records or garden tools. Don't take extended loans, for they're just theft by another name. All they do is sour your friendship. If we borrowed something from a friend or neighbour, let's give it back. If it's no longer in the condition we borrowed it in, let's buy them a new one. We're to have integrity at work. Remember, work is good. God designed us to work. Ephesians 6, 7 says we are to work hard as though we're doing it for God himself. So how do we do this? In Proverbs 16, 11, we read, Honest scales and balances belong to the Lord. All the weights in the bag are of his making. 
What this means is that we are not to shortchange people. We're not to cut corners. If we have to give a quote as part of our work, make it an honest one. Don't rip people off. If we're involved in advertising, make sure the advert is true and morally justifiable. If we're involved in payroll, make sure we pay fairly and on time. We must never forget that God is interested in these things. In Deuteronomy 24:15, it says, Pay them their wages each day before sunset, because they're poor and they're counting on it. Otherwise they may cry to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty of sin. Of course, another part of having integrity at work is claiming the expenses and the overtime that we are due and nothing more. Not only does this please God, but we will gain respect for it. We are also to have integrity in the wider world. If we're using websites and shops that consistently charge a lot less for food and clothing than their competitors, we should be asking, how are they doing this? It could very well be that they are not paying poor people in developing countries a fair wage. If this is the case, and we knowingly keep buying from them anyway, we are literally stealing the livelihoods of very vulnerable people. To have integrity then means to look out for fair trade products or products certified by the Rainforest Alliance. It may also mean shopping as local as possible to benefit local farmers. In similar ways, having integrity in the wider world will mean ensuring that our pensions are invested in ethical funds, not just the ones that give us the largest reward. 200 years ago, Bible-believing Christians led to the abolition of slavery. If we live with justice and integrity today, we too can make a big difference. So we are to seek integrity in our personal relations, our workplaces, and in our dealings with the wider world. The final practical piece of advice on keeping this commandment is this. We are to nurture the right attitudes. First and foremost, that means standing against all forms of greed. Of course, it's greed that leads to theft. Jesus spoke so openly about the danger of greed, but somehow when we read his warnings, we always assume he's talking to someone else. I read a quote from Dom Helder Camera, a bishop from South America this week, and he said, I used to think when I was a child that Christ might have been exaggerating when he warned about the dangers of wealth. Today I know better. I know how very hard it is to be rich and still keep the milk of human kindness. Money has a dangerous way of putting scales on one's eyes, a dangerous way of freezing people's hands, eyes, lips and hearts. So we need to ask ourselves, where is wealth pulling us off course? Where are we investing all of our time and energy and for what? What are we longing for that is not Jesus? We need to hate greed in our life and we need to deal with it quickly and ruthlessly whenever we notice it. Instead of that greed, we're to try and develop a love of giving. Think about it. Every time we give something away, we are rebelling against a life dominated by possessions and wealth. We are to try and make giving a regular habit. For if we are regular givers, we'll be much less tempted to steal. Now, giving does not just have to be in terms of money. We can give our time and our friendship. We can give hospitality and practical help. But remember, however much we give away, God has given us more. He has given us all that we have, and he has given us his son. 
If we want to be like him, we will learn to be generous. The final attitude that we should try to nurture is to fully trust in God. In Proverbs 30, we read the words of a beautiful prayer. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. And give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me my only daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonour the name of my God. I wonder if we could make that our prayer. We are to rely on God for our daily bread. We are to let go and allow him to be our provider. If we're currently going through a hard time, particularly in this cost of living crisis, rather than stealing in some way, we're to throw ourselves on God in prayer. He will answer. And as we experience his provision for us, our relationship with him will grow. And that is what these commandments are all about. It's time to draw this sermon to a close. Enough has been said already. We have recognised the problem of theft in the world today and the great damage it does to vulnerable people. We have explored why stealing upsets God so greatly and damages our relationship with him as well. And we have thought about some practical suggestions on how we can fulfil this commandment today. I want to finish by saying this. Imagine a world with no more stealing. Imagine a world where all people have integrity. Imagine a world where love is given to others without end. What you have just imagined is heaven, the eternal kingdom of God. And the Lord's Prayer calls us to try and bring heaven to earth in our actions day by day. May our response to this commandment lead someone, somewhere, to see the love of God for them and experience God giving them life rather than stealing their hope like the idolatry of money is guaranteed to do.